I was a food addict from the get-go. Certain foods could give me that sense of comfort. And so when I felt alone, when I felt angry, when I felt hurt, when I felt humiliated, the food had gave me a sense of ease. Food Addiction is a podcast which explores the disease of food addiction and presents the solution. We interview professionals and counselors who specialize in the disease of food addiction, and we interview individuals who have successfully recovered from food addiction and discuss how they did it. Esther Helga Goodmans-Dotier was motivated to change careers after she recovered from food addiction by opening a food addiction treatment center and the INFACT school the world's first and only sugar and food addiction counseling training, which offers a recognized certification. Check out the website for more information on obtaining this certification, as well as proven recovery programs at infactschool.com. Listen to these episodes as we discuss the problem and the solution around food addiction. I'm Susan Branscombe. I am a recovered food addict and the host of this podcast, Food Addiction, which is sponsored by the Infact School. Today, my guest is a recovered food addict, Mary Fushi. Welcome, Mary. Thank you, Susan. So wonderful to be here with you. Thank you. Yeah, glad you're here too. Mary is not only a recovered food addict, but for years she has been and still is a professional working in the field of food addiction treatment. She's authorized me to talk about her work and said it was okay to use her last name, which we typically do not do when we host food addicts to protect their anonymity. Uh, But the format of this podcast will be one of talking about her personal experience in food addiction and recovery, and then talking about her work in the field. Uh, So welcome again, Mary. Thank you. So let's dive into some questions. I know some of your story, I've seen some photos in a newsletter, and you have maintained a weight release in recovery of right around 200 pounds for 31 years. <laughs> so it's really pretty incredible. Congratulations. Thank you so much. I, yeah. it's, it's amazing to me. It blows me yeah. away every day. Yeah. Oh, me too. Uh, me too. You were uh, you were an overweight child. I have some numbers here from first grade and seventh grade. I'd love to hear what it was like to be, you know, as we kind of talk about your recovery and your journey, what it was like to be an overweight child. The best word that I can use to describe that is brutal. It was, um, it was so difficult. I was 100 pounds in third grade and um, 270 pounds when I was in junior high school and almost 300 when I was in high school. And the teasing and the 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 meanness of um, the the really mostly verbal abuse was was just brutal. It was it was devastating. It was, yeah, it was really kids hard. can be so cruel, mm-hmm. um, and it had to be hard. I mean, I was. 10 or 15 pounds overweight. And I, I even got teased, but, uh, it had to be awful to go into school and, and weigh that, that much. It was every time yeah. I stepped out of the, the safety of my home, I felt that I was a target of, of, of abuse, of teasing, of bullying. Yeah. yeah. Did your parents know what was going on? They really didn't. Um, they didn't know the extent of the pain of the pain that I was in. Obviously they mm-hmm. knew I was overweight, I remember one time when I told my, my, I was crying and I told my father that how hurt I was and how, how hard it was. 
And my dad's best advice that he had at the time was he empathized. He too had been an overweight, obese child. And he said he used to tell himself that sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Mm. And at that, from that point on, I don't ever remember talking to anyone about how it felt. Mm. And I, the words hurt. The words hurt yeah. a lot. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I heard on another interview you did, uh, and it's very sad, that as a child you used to pray that you would die in your sleep because you couldn't manage your food or the addiction. It's very sad. There was, so, there was so much pain of being in this body and having to endure what I did that there were many, many times that I would go to sleep at night and just pray that I would die in my mm. sleep because I could not face the fact of one more day, one yeah. more day of getting up and getting on the bus and having having just, you know, kids say the bus will tip over when she gets on and move to the other side. And it was it was just endless. Oh, my gosh. And, yeah. Um, yeah. How old were you when you first realized that your use of food was not normal like other kids? You know, it took a long time for me to realize that my the use of food was not normal. I knew I was obese. I knew I was overweight. I knew I was fat. That's the word I used. I knew I was fat. But yeah. realizing that my use of food was not normal took a very long time. Um, I know that I, some of my behaviors were I would, I would eat um, differently in front of my friends than I would at home. Um, when I was alone, I would eat a lot more. Um, I think I was surprised that my friends didn't eat um, as much as I did, but it wasn't conscious. All I was mostly aware of was that I was fat and I was different mm. and, and yeah. Yeah. The awareness of how I ate differently wasn't conscious to me for quite a long time. Mm. Well, tell us a little bit more about your journey. Uh, at one time, you weighed 340 pounds. And um, just talk about the journey of, of the discovery of recovery and, and just a little more about your journey. Well, the first diet I went on, I was in eighth grade. My mom took me to a doctor and I was given a thousand calorie diet and some diet pills. And I, I really tried very hard to follow that. And I did. I had been, I had been promised that I, if I lost some weight, I could go on my eighth grade trip with my schoolmates. And I did. And, um, and then for the next couple of dozen years, it was just up and down, in and out. My top weight was 340 pounds when I was 34 years old. Mm. Um, I had gained and lost 100 pounds five different times in my life. Um, I had lost 100 pounds and then regained it five different times. Um, I tried every kind of diet you can imagine. Um, and I always thought that weight was just the problem. I didn't realize mm -hmm. that there was something something that was causing that mm -hmm. and that the weight was a symptom. Yeah. Yeah. The obesity can be a symptom of food addiction. We know that. And you were like me, you were a very good dieter. I lost and gained 50 pounds over and over. I've been on just about every diet. And as you say, you lost a hundred pounds, five different times in your life. And it sounds like you were a good dieter too, but I always gained it back. And, you know, we're taught that dieting is a solution for our disease, but we just, we try it and we, uh, you know, I always go back, always went back to the food. It sounds like you did too. I did. 
Yeah. Yeah. I didn't yeah. know that, you know, I diet, I'd lose a significant amount of weight. And then I thought I could take a little break from the diet and mm -hmm. then I'd be off and running again and thinking, yeah. what's wrong with me? You know, right. Don't I want to be thin? Like what's, what's wrong with me? Right. There's a lot of feeling to of failure for me that, that uh, I could do all these other things pretty well in my life, but I just could not lose weight and keep it off. And a lot of these diet plans, like the commercial diet plans, don't teach you really how to maintain your weight loss. They don't tell you, okay, here's what you should eat now to maintain that weight. Uh, that would be poor uh, for their business plan because they want you to come back. Um, so that's what I did. I kept coming back and trying to get it again, and I hadn't found just the right diet, you know? Yeah, yeah. I tried every kind of, every measure of self-will you can, if I, if I just try harder, if I just try harder, um, you know, and I, I, I found that I could not get the thought, the thoughts of the foods out of my head. Mm -hmm. I just, I just couldn't. It was one time yeah. I, I, I very specifically remember saying if I could just cut off my head, I'd be okay because <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't get it out of my head. I, yeah. you know, I, I mean, no one, no one would yeah. choose to be that overweight and to be no. the brunt of that, you know? Yeah. I used to fantasize about cutting off the layers of fat around my middle and just like, I could get rid of it that way. And it's just like, that's so irrational, but you know, the, the desperation, you know, yes. uh, to be thin in our society, especially, and just wanting to be healthy, wanting to be, you know, healthy and, and not thin, but just at a good maintenance weight. But talk about the powerlessness. We, we know that when we ingest some foods, uh, sugar, binge and trigger foods, that when we start, we can't stop and that it is a, a brain disease. It is uh, a biological difference about us as food addicts, that when we start eating these things, then it sets up the trigger that we want more. We can't stop thinking about it. So the obsession starts. So talk about powerlessness and if you've got a story about it. Well, that that has been, you know, realizing that I am powerless over food um, has been re a real game changer for me. I, I always thought that I had the power to pick up the food or not pick or, or not. I always thought that it was my choice. And if I was struggling, it was because I chose to pick it up. Um, grasping the idea of powerlessness took many years. In fact, I would, I would really say that it was two years of really clean abstinence before I really grasped that this disease had been dragging me around by the tail, even though I thought I was in control and choosing all the time. Um, a couple of instances, or one in particular that I remember was, I um, I was working at a at a publishing company in Chicago, and where I used to live, and um, I my boss always kept candy at his at his desk always, and had a stash in his locked credenza, and I went in there uh, after he had left for the day, which he frequently left early, I went in and I just, I was, you know, putting, tidying up his desk. And I just said, well, I'll just have one piece of candy. And I ate one piece of candy and, and then I ate another and then another. And then I went back out to my desk and then I went back in and ate more. And then I cleaned out that, that bowl. And then I got the key and unlocked his credenza and I cleaned out his stash 
And then I realized, oh my God, he's going to come in tomorrow morning and all of his candy's going to be gone. So it was pouring down rain. I It was after hours. I went out. I went to a couple different stores to find the same size bag, the specific candy to bring in. Had to lie this to the security guard to get me into the building so that I could access the elevator so that I could get up to the office again to resupply. And I will tell you, with every ounce of my being, I thought I was going to eat one. And once yeah. I once I ate that one, the what's often called the phenomenon of craving yes. um, took over and I had no power to stop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there. I mean, that story says it all. Uh, that uh, often we do it in secret. You know, we don't want people to know, but we wear this disease, and uh, it's obvious that we, you know, have issues with food and uh, not eating what our body wants. But uh, yeah, the this the, this not being able to stop once you start, and that was really my bottom. At fifty-seven years old, I was eating fudge in my kitchen in Florida at our condo, and I could not stop. And I told myself, I will have one more. And I kept eating it until there were only a couple of pieces left. And I was kind of moving the paper around so nobody could see how much I'd eaten. Yes. And I realized that's what my life was, that I could not stop once I started, you know, with, with something like fudge, you know. So talk about uh, a couple of things about our disease of food addiction. Um, first would be denial. Talk about denial. And the second one is the shame. Well, um, one aspect of denial that, uh, first of all, I, I, you know, an acronym of denial that I've heard is don't even know I am lying. And, um, and the denial was, I did not even know that, that um, I couldn't control it. I had, I had no idea. I often, you would look at myself from the neck up. Um, I was 340 pounds. I was, I was a big girl. But I yeah. would look from my neck up and people would say, you have such a pretty face. And so I, I just kind of ignored my body to an extent. I, I, I couldn't, um, there's, a, there's something that, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't recall what it, was, what it was like the night before when I would, you know, when I would binge so much before I'd go to bed feeling like my body was going to explode and then I would say, you know, God, please don't let me die tonight. I promise I'll mm -hmm. never do it again. And then the next morning I couldn't wait to, to start again. And I mm -hmm. couldn't remember the denial was so strong. It yeah. was so powerful that I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't recall. I couldn't remember the idea of lying to people and shoving yeah. food in my pockets and under it, putting it in desk drawers and hanging out in public bathroom stalls, sitting in gross public bathroom stalls, binging. The level of shame and disgust that I felt about myself doing those types of things was, um, it was so humiliating and yeah. so degrading. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and you were like me, you had a volume addiction. Uh, and that's, you know, I had 70 pounds to lose, you had 200 and we ate massive amounts of food, much more than our bodies needed. So talk about the addiction to volume. Well, that was one of the last things that I realized. Um, I, I, to this day, I weigh and measure each and every morsel of food that goes into my mouth. 
And even to this day, I, I can finish a meal and say, I could do that two or three times more. And I, I mean that. Um, today, I know that by weighing and measuring my food, I, I get what my body needs. But I have a broken switch when it comes to feeling full. Yep. It takes an enormous amount of food for me to feel full. Yep. And I, um, therefore, as a result, I was taught how to weigh and measure my food. I could eat a whole cake or a whole pie or a whole dozen things easily. I mean, one serving to me was one whole and um, mm -hmm. a dozen donuts, you know, just um, I, I just don't have that mechanism in my body that tells me when I've had enough. And then the people that would say with all good intentions, Mary, yeah. just listen to your body. Well, right. it's it's broken. <laughs> I mean, there was, right. there was no chance. My my body told me to eat the whole thing, you know, and then have right. another. Right. You know. Yeah. So. My husband's a normal eater, and he's like, "Can't you just eat in moderation?" I'm like, "I have no idea what that means. Exactly. I can't do it. I know I can't do it. Exactly. Yeah. Just yeah. put the fork down. What?" Right. Just you know. put the fork down. And, you know, the denial, uh, I don't know about photos, but when I got abstinent and I got down to a maintenance weight, I was really shocked when I saw the photos because at 57 years old, when somebody said, you might want to try food addiction recovery, a 12 step program, I said, I don't, you know, I don't think I'm that bad. You know, I still didn't think that I was that bad, that I, that I just needed to find one more diet and I, I would be fine. But it wasn't until I reached bottom that I, that I realized that I needed something else. I needed real intervention in that way. And we're going to talk about 12-step recovery, but when did you reach, I know some of the years based on your story, uh, when did you reach bottom, do you think? When did you really get it and, and begin your journey of long-term abstinence a day at a time? Well, I spent about between 20 and 25 years trying desperately to lose weight and to get some control over my weight, which is the only thing I thought was the problem. And um, I went into treatment the first time in 1986. It was at that time that I weighed 340 pounds. And I spent seven weeks in inpatient treatment and learned, uh, and it was a, it was a alcohol, drug and food addiction treatment center. And they treated food addiction the same way they treated alcohol and drug addiction. Mm -hmm. The same. That was model. Glen Bay Hospital in Tampa. Actually, right? this was called this was um, Naples Research and Counseling Center in Naples, okay. Florida. Okay. And I, um, I, I, I went in at three hundred forty pounds. Since spent seven weeks there, really got the basics of what it took to be a recovered recovering food addict, and mm -hmm. did did the do for a long time. And then I was losing weight because I thought weight was the only symptom. I lost 140 pounds and was thought I thought I have it now. I've got yep. this now. Yeah. And I started letting go of the disciplines of the things that were helping me along this journey. Even though I had started some of the disciplines of the 12 step program, I let I began to let or a 12 step program. I began to let go of them. I spent the next three years in and out of relapse. And while I never got up to 340 pounds again, I was much, much sicker. And mm -hmm. I joined more weight loss, weigh and pay type of programs. And I had joined another one in 1989 and got lost 60 pounds and got down to 200 pounds. 
And again, that was kind of like the, wow, I'm at 200 pounds. It was a pretty good weight. And uh, at that moment, I had that insidious thought again that said, I can have one. I can just have one. So I decided on December 7th of 1989 to eat one piece of pie. And I Hmm. could not stop. I could not stop. And over the next 42 days, I gained 56 pounds binging out of control. Hmm. During those 42 days, I had my whole funeral planned because I knew that I couldn't stop. I couldn't. I tried every day. I tried every day to stop and I couldn't. And I really believed that life would not be worth living without the food. Mm -hmm. And so somehow, by the grace of God, there was this little inkling in me that wanted to live. And I called my, or that wanted to try again, that had this little inkling of hope. And I called my therapist who had been in Naples and was now at Glen Bay Hospital in Tampa. Mm -hmm. She was the clinical director, program director at Glen Bay Hospital of Tampa. And I called her and she said, you know, get down here. And that was really my bottom, that when Mm -hmm. I realized how completely powerless I was and that I couldn't stop, and even if I could, life would not be worth living without it. Mm -hmm. And I had given up all hope. And I was 37 years old and decided I would just eat till I died. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was, it's really fascinating and interesting. I had the same experience you're talking about, which is when I was in the kitchen eating the fudge and I couldn't stop, I had that inkling of like, I know I don't want to live this way. I know I want to live and I know I don't want to live this way and I'm killing myself and I will die somehow with this food through high blood pressure, stroke, had diabetes, had all these things, carrying 70 pounds And uh, I had that inkling. I had what you're talking about, and I'm getting chills talking about, which is I knew I wanted to live, and you knew you wanted to live, and you didn't want to die by by the food. To some extent, there was a very, very small part of me that wanted to live. Mm. The the only thing that kept me going was I had a a, a little sister who was 20 years younger than me. And my, both of my parents died. My mother died when she was five. My father died when she was 12. She was a food addict as well. And when she mm. was 13, she weighed 326 pounds. Mm. And the only thing that gave me that little will to live back then was, I can't leave her. I can't, mm. I can't leave her. And that was the only thing that gave me, a, otherwise I was done. Mm-hmm. Had it not been for my little sister, I, I don't know. know, Yeah. Yeah. And mine, it was my grandkids and I'm like, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be around for them. So that was my little like, okay, okay. Higher power. I'm, I'm ready to to surrender, you know, to let go. So talk about your recovery. You hit the bottom, you realized that you couldn't eat just one piece of pie. Um, talk about your recovery, uh, the 12 step work you do, what you do every day. What does that, what does that look like? Well, let me tell you that getting in re- into recovery, into stable recovery, and I have to say one day at a time, is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Mm-hmm. I was in inpatient treatment at the time. I ended up staying five weeks in inpatient treatment. And um, then I, I, when my insurance gave out, um, ceased to cover any further treatment. 
I knew that I wasn't ready to go back to, to Chicago, to my old job, to my, to my former life. I did not feel strong enough to maintain my recovery. So I extended for a week in a halfway house, which is now called a primary treatment center turning point of Tampa. Mm. And at the time it was more of a halfway house. And I stayed there for a month and just focused on my recovery, was with people 24-7 because I could not be trusted to not eat, uh, to eat when I was alone. Um, and then after a month, I also felt I'm not ready to go home. I extended another month with, you know, threats from my, from my spouse at home, you know, with withdrawal of all financial support, but it didn't matter. I needed to do what I needed to do. And I ended up staying a third month. So, mm. and then there's a principle that I've, so basically I was in inpatient treatment for four and a half months for my food addiction. Mm. And there's a principle upon which I learned how to put my abstinence in recovery first. And that is that I need to build my life around what I do for my abstinence and recovery rather than building my abstinence and recovery around my life. And, um, uh, which means for me that it's like, if I didn't have a leg, the first thing that I would do when I got out of bed was I would probably put my prosthetic on so that I could, mm. so that I could have a leg so that I could walk. And the same thing is true about my food addiction recovery. If I have hope of being in recovery for one day at a time, these are the things that I do on a daily basis. And I've pretty much done this for 33 years. Yeah, I mean, somebody, somebody said, you know, somebody says, well, what do you, what do you do? You know, I did pretty much what I did on the first day. I write down my food very specifically what I'm going to eat for mm -hmm. the next 24 hours. I read that to my, to my sponsor, to a sponsor every day. I yes. don't make changes in that without checking with somebody yes. because self-will is, self-will is rampant in an addiction. And so I have lost the power to, to choose and to make decisions, to make good decisions about my, uh, about food. Now, Am I capable after 33 years of probably making a decision about food that's pretty sane? I think I am, but it doesn't matter because the, 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 the addiction is a disease of self-will run riot. So I surrender. I surrender those decisions to a power greater than myself. And that power happens yes. to just be my sponsor, you know, and, yeah. um, and, and a higher power. I, I, I believe power. that, mm -hmm. you know, I, I'm very, I, I, I live by a very, uh, rigorous um, discipline of a 12-step program that supports mm -hmm. me around uh, the steps, around finding a power greater than myself, around looking at the things, restless, irritable, and discontent, the anger, the, the, the resentments, the anxieties that always used to lead me back to the food. When right. I put the food down, yeah. all that stuff would come up. I had no tools of how to deal with it. So I go back to eating again. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm very active in, in um, service and in, in, um, in just uh, trying to live a life of honesty. Because believe mm -hmm. me, when I was in the food, I was not an honest person. It was not yeah. pretty. And yeah. so I wasn't yeah. either. And I, I do the same things you do in my program, which, you know, I, I 
you know, sometimes I joke that my sponsor is my parole officer, you know, that I have to, <laughs> I have to check in with her if I want to change anything that I've told her I'm going to eat. And, uh, I had to surrender, which isn't easy for somebody that likes to control. And then I had to get to work because we do have to work at this, yes. uh, you know, one day at a time. And, you know, we work a program. And as you say, we have this, this addiction. Our bodies are not like normal eaters or emotional eaters. We are food addicts. So when we ingest the food, we start craving it again. But then there's all this emotional stuff that was causing us to go to food. For me, it was frustration, anger, fear. And then I had to deal with that. I had to deal with that by working this program and then working at it on a daily basis to make sure that I don't get off track. If I need to say I'm sorry to someone, I do that. So, and I think you do the same thing. Yes, I do. And a couple of things I want to um, emphasize are, first of all, I needed to, I needed to know what abstinence meant for me. You know, mm -hmm. for an alcoholic, an alcoholic drinks. An alcoholic does not drink alcohol. For me, as a recovering food addict, I still eat. I just needed to know what were those addictive substances for me. And so it was very clear at the beginning to have a very clear food plan. And that does not change. My biochemistry on what foods I'm addicted to does not change. My, my emotions, my, 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 I can have a psychological, a spiritual awakening, but my body is still allergic to certain foods. So that does not change. In eating disorders, you know, we, people who have eating disorders and a lot of eating disorder therapists, part of the protocol is to try and not be afraid of food and to work toward being able to eat all foods in moderation. For an addict, for a food addict, that does not work. Right. So my, my food plan has had to have very few changes over these 33 years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, um, Talk a little about the emotion part, uh, emotion uh, part of this, and why you were eating. Uh, we know about the addiction and the physical uh, addiction to food, but then as a child, what were the reasons emotionally you were eating? What What were the reasons when you were an adult um, that you can identify? Well, I I think I was born addicted to food, so I had the biochemistry right out of the right out of the womb, and I think mm -hmm. I started eating eating addictively prior to any trauma. So there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people for whom the trauma, they eat over the trauma first and, and, and then become aware of a food addiction. I believe I didn't know it at the time, but I was a food addict from the get go. And then mm -hmm. I learned that certain foods could give me that sense of comfort. Yes. And so when I felt alone, when I felt angry, when I felt hurt, when I felt humiliated, the food had gave me a sense of ease, you know, like that. I could take those foods in my body and just go, oh, God. Yeah. You know, just that sense that of numb relief. feeling. It that numbs numb you feeling. from the. And your trauma, what, uh, what trauma was, did you experience? That my trauma growing up was mostly around being an obese child and being okay. in the, um, yeah. in, being in my home was, it was a loving, we didn't talk a lot. There was not a lot of nurturing or encouragement, mm -hmm. but it was a safe home. Um, yeah. In my, in, I, I am a survivor of clergy sexual abuse that has been enormous, uh, enormous trauma that I've had to recover from. 
um, the rejection of, of feeling um, so abnormal. I'm, I used to call myself an asexual blob of humanity. So just mm-hmm. becoming in touch with myself as a body, as a woman, as a, an, an, an adult that's, worth, that's worthy of love and respect, um, to treat myself that way and to, and to expect that from other people and to hope for that for, uh, from other people, that continues to be an area of trauma and healing that I continue to pursue both within the 12-step fellowships and with outside help. Yeah, the clergy sexual abuse. Um, do you feel like we, we know there is a connection between women gaining weight so they're not sexually attractive? Do you think something like that was going on at any time in your life? Uh, no, I don't. I'm not familiar okay. with that. Um, however, I will tell you that it has taken every bit of my 72 years to begin to believe that I am an attractive woman. My, mm. I never dated. I never dated. The first man I ever dated in high school was after I had lost a lot of weight and he was attracted to me. Then Mm -hmm. I was diagnosed with cancer. I was given three years to live. This was when I was Mm -hmm. 19 years old. I had stage three B Hodgkin's disease. I was given three years to live. And I thought, well, he's the first man that's ever shown me any attention. I might as well marry him. And, Mm -hmm. and so, because I'm going to die. And so I don't, I know that there are a lot of people that have that experience of, Mm -hmm. you know, the weight protects them from, Yes. Um, I don't relate with that. I will tell you that the way it was through my food addiction and the consequences that led to the sexual abuse, though, however, because Mm -hmm. I I went to a pastor for counseling and he I was like over 300 pounds. And he told me that if if it would help me to feel better about myself, if I allowed him to touch me. And to help oh. me, and to help me feel better about myself, and I had, I was like, "Well, this doesn't make any sense. This is my pastor. Why would he do this stuff to right. me?" But I thought he must know, and he's my pastor. He wouldn't hurt me. And right. so the consequences of my food addiction, and the way I grew up feeling about myself, and my body, and who I am as a person, was directly related to the um, abuse, inappropriate, inappropriate yes. abuse of mm-hmm. someone else in authority. Yeah. Wow. There, there are a lot of stories out there with uh, yes. clergy, Catholic church, for example, and priests um, with doing that. And, and, you know, you trust them. You think, well, whatever he wants to do is okay because he mm-hmm. has some authority, you know, over mm-hmm. me. So I'm sorry you I'm sorry you went through that. And uh, um, so a lot of this is, you know, it's complicated. It's, you know, everything we go through in our lives. You you had cancer at 19. You got married, you know, kind of early and first first guy. And so there's a lot that make us up. But uh, congratulations being 72 years old and being so healthy for so long. You look great. Thank you. (laughs) You look great. How is your life now compared to? The way it was before. I mean, we know about the freedom, and we know what we can do, free of dieting, thinking about weight and food, uh, and surrendering. What What's your life like now? Before we move well, on to your your work, it's totally different. <laughs> you know, yeah. no. The, I guess the most important thing 
not the most important thing by any means, but the most obvious thing is the weight loss. I have maintained, I go between 100 and like you said, 195 pounds and 200 pound weight loss um, for 31 years. And I don't, I haven't mm -hmm. gone really much beyond those, those, that parameter. And so mm -hmm. physically my body's very differently. I can do things I never used to be able to do. I, I don't worry about sitting in chairs and breaking them or laying on beds and breaking them. I don't worry about being able to only drive my car because I can't fit in somebody else's car or not, or being able to buckle the, the seatbelt on an airplane. You know, I don't even think about those things anymore. So physically, you know, I'm, I'm healthy. I'm much more healthy than I was. Emotionally, I still have ups and downs, but I do not drift as deep or as, or as far as I used to. I, I, um, I, uh, I, you know, suicide was always an option on my plate before. Always. Mm. Suicide, I rarely think of anymore. Does it occasionally cross my mind over things that I seem feel like I can't handle? They do. It does. Mm -hmm. But but um, uh, it, 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 it does not predominate. My, is, it, uh, it is not a predominating force in my life. Mm -hmm. um, emotion, or, or, you know, socially, I have so much connection. And I and I and I connect that also with spirituality because I was extremely angry with God, with my, any conception of God after the clergy sexual abuse. I was yeah. absolutely not. I will never trust anything that has to do with God. I will never step my foot into any kind of a religious church or organization again, right. never. Now that has really healed. You know, I, um, I, it's not the same it, it, and it's okay. But today I have a relationship with what I, you know, when I think of my higher power, I often think of other people. You know, it's through other people that I that I most connect with a power greater than myself. And um, and then through my readings and my spiritual readings and my prayer and meditation and the disciplines that I do. You know, today I um, I have an, a very abundant life. I have a, a multitude of people that I can call upon for help and support, and I, and then I have a few core people who are very who know everything about me, who yeah. who can just hear the tone of my voice and know how I'm doing. That's right. very different than the way I used to live. I used to have a smile on my face and dying on the inside, and yeah. today it's like yeah, totally different. No, I see it and I know it. Uh, about you. And I just, uh, you know, I, I do the same thing. I have, you call them core. I call them my A team in my program. Uh, they know a lot about me. They know when I'm not doing well and I can, I can call them, they'll pick up and, and, and we'll talk. And that's what we do. We use the program of recovery to, to deal with the things that come up in our life that we used to use food around. Right. And, um, yeah. Uh, and 12 steps, you mentioned something. One of the reasons I think my dad never got sober is he said, oh, yeah, you got religion and there's there's God and you've got to believe whatever. 12 step recovery holds out the possibility that you may not believe in a traditional uh, God, uh, that there are many options for higher power. So thank goodness. Right. And Amen to that. That is yeah. certainly my experience. Yeah. And it continues to evolve. It does. Right. Yeah, it does. Yeah, for me that's too. Okay. 
Well, I want to talk about Acorn and uh, your work there. Uh, let's uh, move to some questions about your work with a Acorn um, and the Food Addiction Recovery Program, which is now called Shift Recovery by Acorn. And you and your husband, Phil Wardell, got the uh, website early on, foodaddiction.com, and it goes right to Shift uh, Recovery by Acorn. So. These are food addiction recovery programs, sessions that you and Phil Wardell operated for years. And I have interviewed Amanda Leith uh, as a professional in the podcast who bought the business and renamed it. Um, and it was begun after Glen Bay Hospital in Tampa uh, closed. And you and Phil, I, I think Phil began it. Uh, you, you guys uh, ran it for years. And it was well known in the food addiction industry. Uh, and talk about... Uh, the start of it. I attended it for five days in May of 19 when Amanda was first in there. And so I know what goes on there. Uh, so talk about ACORN and SHIFT and your work there. And uh, it would be nice if insurance paid for this, but it doesn't. We can talk about that later. But talk about your work there because you, you have the distinction of being a food addict and having worked in this industry. Mm -hmm. Well, I got abstinent at Glen Bay Hospital of Tampa in 19, January of 1990. In, um, uh, in 1993, um, I had maintained my abstinence and had been going to um, hear Phil speak at different events. And uh, he, was, he was now living in Seattle and, doing a, um, and working with a group of people out there who couldn't get abstinent. And he invited me to go out there. He had, he knew of me and uh, my recovery. And he invited me to go out and assist him at what, what, what was ultimately to become the acorn intensive acorn did not okay. exist at the time, Okay. but we got, we got a group of, of women of, I don't think there were eight of us. And I went out there to a system and, um, we did an eight, uh, a, a seven day, intensive where we got these women together. Now at that event, um, uh, we, we did exactly what we did at Glen Bay hospital of Tampa. We focused on people being absent. First of all, dealt with any emotions, feelings, thoughts that came up. We recreated the experience of inpatient treatment. That is exactly what ACORN became. That was in September of, of, uh, 93 in the, in the early months of 1994, Phil and I and another woman named Patricia Lutz um, from, from Pennsylvania, we, the three of us got together. Phil knew right, Phil and I knew right away we wanted to work together. I had been employed. I was working at a publishing company in Chicago. We knew we wanted to work together and Phil and Pat had been working together. And so we created, the three of us, ACORN Food Dependency Recovery Services. And ACORN mm -hmm. stood for Addictive Concept for Overeaters Recovery Needs. And that was what okay. the food plan was named at ACORN. What we did was we took over the alumni of Glen Bay when it closed. And we were traveling to mostly to the East Coast to do weekend workshops. And then we started doing the five day, five to seven day intensives. We started to call them intensives. And we recreated the model of treatment that was done at Glen Bay. And where Pat and Phil both worked and where I had been a client in the, in the early, in early 1990. That is what ACORN did. We created that experience. We, um, we use an addictive model. We use 12, it is not a 12 step program, but we use a 12 step right. approach. 
to, to treating food addiction. I, um, uh, it was, it, we, we saw miracle after miracle at people who could not detox, who could not get through the detox period, could not get abstinent, attend, get clean, learn a way to approach recovery. And that is what ACORN did for 25 years while we owned the business. Shortly, mm-hmm. a, a number of years in, Pat um, went on and did some other things. But Phil and I owned ACORN for 25 years until Amanda Leith came along, attended one of our <laughs> intensives and yes. wanted to do one of these intensives in Vancouver. And I said, no, oh, no, 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 no. This is way too hard. You you can't do this. this is, you, you can't just get this together there and do one of these. Right. And by golly, if she didn't do it, and yeah. and and it, within a couple of years, two three years, she we were ready to retire from active work, and uh, she bought the business. And yeah. Yeah, it was a it was a great intensive, and you talk about intense. It is intense there, you know. <laughs> yes. And uh, uh, I participated as a student, and so I was abstinent from food, but uh, I was expected to not drink coffee, and I couldn't have my phone, which you know those were rough for me. <laughs> so I was a bit raw too. But um, you and Phil talk about this. I heard on another one where these folks are coming into Acorn, and they have not they may have had a whole pizza the night before. So they are withdrawing from their binge foods, sugar, volumes, coffee, and they're doing emotional work alongside this. And so I saw this uh, real time. And so it's difficult. I mean, it's, it's difficult. They get really raw. We do check-ins, you do some real emotional work with them. So these people, you've taken all their comfort foods away and you're working with them on the emotional side. Just, uh, spend a minute talking about that. Well, it's some of the deepest work I've ever seen in my life. And in fact, Mm. when I was in treatment, that's the exact type of work that I needed and I needed every bit of it. And for, for many of us, it's the first time we've ever had been in a place where we could actually say and express what we are feeling. And it's not just a form of talk therapy. Talk therapy is helpful. I go to talk therapy now, but this is something it beyond that. It's in addition to that. It really, you know, we, we, we express our feeling, we, we, we identify our feelings. What am I feeling? I'm feeling, I'm feeling, I'm feeling angry. Okay. And then, and then to say it, I am, I feel angry. And then to express it, to actually allow what is in our body to express it. Sometimes a bat is used. Sometimes pounding on a pillow is used. Sometimes just screaming is used. Sometimes if it's deep sadness, just weeping and and crying and allowing feelings to come up that have been buried with food or with shame for so many years and, and, and creating a safe space for people to be able to express anything, anything without hurting them or others. We do have very Mm -hmm. clear boundaries that we don't allow people to harm themselves or others, but it, it has been the most healing experience to for myself and to mm-hmm. be present when other people are just being authentic yeah just no it's authentic. it's beautiful work it's really profound yeah you know, when you go there and you witness it you see the the work that's done and how people are giving up food as a solution you know to their problems and there's a lot of group uh, dynamics 
individual dynamics that go on. So it's really great. Foodaddiction.com takes you right to Shift Recovery by Acorn. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, you and Phil are well known in in the circles as being pioneers. Uh, So thank you for doing what you did and are still doing. So as we kind of wrap up here, I wanted to spend a minute talking about our food plans. You have said, I heard you say that one time you thought there was one food plan and that's the only one that would work and you've kind of opened it up and my food plan might be different to other people in my program. I do drink coffee. I I don't use any sugar. Uh, we don't do that. We have whole foods. Um, you know, these foods uh, are vegetables, fruits, protein, fats, some carbs, and not everybody can eat carbs. Not everybody can mm-hmm. eat fruit. So mm-hmm. the food plan is tailored based on working, in my case, with a nutritionist dietitian. Um, so you, but you don't make your own food plan because as you've said, self-will comes in. And, uh, if we made our own food plan, we wouldn't weigh and measure our food. We'd kind of choose what we wanted, but it's very healthy. And like you and Philip said, you guys are satisfied when you're done with your meal. So talk about food plans. When I was in Glen Bay and given a food plan, I, um, here I was, you know, totally out of control with food and totally out of control, (laughs) deciding I'd eat till I die. I had no idea what to eat, what not to eat, how not to eat. And yet I was given this food plan and I said, this one won't work. This won't work. This is, this can't be right for me. And so the first, one of my first surrenders was just to accept the food plan. Perhaps, just perhaps people might have, might know a little bit more about this than me. And at first, the reason I was so um, closed-minded to other people possibly being abstinent on different food plans was because my mind was very susceptible to other ideas. Well, maybe that mm. maybe that person can eat that on that food plan. Maybe I should have that food plan. Oh my gosh! Now, if I have that food plan, I could eat this. So I had to have just like a horse. I had to have blinders on. And that's why I was so like, I don't want to hear about anybody else's food plan. I don't want to know about anybody else's food plan. It's dangerous for me. So, so as I became more comfortable in my own food plan and what I do um, and what works for me, I began to be more open, but I'm really convinced that in early recovery, I had to have that sense of, I'm just going to surrender. I'm not going to question, even though I want to question everything, I'm just going to surrender. So I'm a big component of getting a food plan and not changing it unless it's a life-threatening situation. Just surrender. Now, over the years, my food plan has had a few modifications in it, but I've basically been on the same food plan for 33 years. The, wow. I, I now eat six meals a day. I eat three main meals and three snacks. A couple mm-hmm. of foods have been added as options within certain categories. But my food plan is very safe and it's healthy. Mm-hmm. My doctor my doctor approves of it. I have a dietitian that I work with when I've had mm-hmm. medical issues over the last, I mean, I've had a lot of medical issues and aging over the last 33 years. Adjustments yeah. have been made, but I don't make any adjustments in my food plan unless my dietitian my sponsor and I agree. If the three, because my dietitian doesn't necessarily so know the ins and outs of my food addiction and how it actually operates and works, yeah. my sponsor does. Yeah. And so the three of us have to kind of agree before any changes are made. 
Is it easy always? No, it takes a lot of time. Um, I weigh and measure my food, whether I'm in a restaurant, whether I'm at home, whether I, you know, no matter who I'm with, why? Because I'm addicted to volume and it gives me freedom. It gives me freedom. Then I don't have to sit there and worry. Did I eat too much? Did I not eat enough? Should I have a little more? Right. I know exactly how much I need to eat to weigh you know, 135 pounds. Um, but you know, for a long time, it was 43 years of dieting for me. Why can't I get this? I felt like a failure a lot. And it wasn't until I really understood that, as you've said, it wasn't my fault. I was, I'm not a normal eater. I'm not an, I'm an emotional eater, but I'm also a food addict. So I was different. And finally just hearing that it wasn't my fault was big for me. Yes. Yes. Right. Totally. I thought it was all my fault. I thought, you know, I was told, Mary, gluttony is is sin. You're a sinner. Yes. You know, and I felt such shame. And yeah. Yeah. And so today I know I have a disease and and there is a solution, a very clear solution by first for a food addict, putting down the food getting abstinent from your trigger foods and sugar. And if you are sensitive to flour as well. Um, But uh, you, I think are a pretty independent person like me, give me a problem, I'll solve it. And uh, I've heard you say the secret is asking for support. So we need support, we have to count on people to help us and surrender to what we hear. And uh, we try not to say uh, we not try not to say yes, but but yes, ma'am. That So I say a lot of yes, ma'am, even though I don't want to, um, yep. but, uh, you know, recovered for six and a half years now. So as we close out here, what would you say, Mary, and this has been great. What would you say to the still suffering, uh, person out there that might think that he or she is a food addict? What would you say? I, um, well, first of all, my heart goes out to you. Mm. I, I deeply relate with the pain of active food addiction and um and that there is hope there is help there there is a future beyond the foods that i think that i can't live without and and that you're and that i can't do it alone and that there is there is support available for people with from people who really understand both within the 12-step rooms and professional support I'm a person who needed more than just the 12 step rooms. I needed to be in treatment. And thankfully there are organizations like shift who, uh, and milestones in recovery and um, yes. know, that, that really, really understand and for understand uh, it, understand food addiction and, and how to help. Mm-hmm. Right. And they're all on uh, Esther uh, Helga Goodman Stotier's uh, website. Infactschool.com, infactschool.com under resources and partners. Uh, there are solutions and programs and uh, milestones and recovery is there, shift is there. So, Mary, thanks for joining us today. It's been great, uh, great messages and congratulations. And uh, I'm glad to know you. Thank you so much, Susan. I'm glad to walk the path with you. Thank you. This is the Food Addiction Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and learned more about this disease. We hope you will rate and write a review on this podcast and share it with others. If you or someone you know is suffering from the disease of food addiction, there is a solution. 
The various food addiction recovery programs are available and listed on the website, theinfactschool.com. Or if you would like to know more about how to get certified in treating food addiction, the school is accepting applications now for its next training beginning in September 2023. Go to theinfactschool.com. That's I-N-F-A-C-T school.com to learn more.